Hi, this is recording artist Marla G sending you some love from sunny Florida. And you're listening to Radio What? RadioWhat.com. What's up, party people? It's Keys Dan with RadioWhat.com, DJLittleRock.com, coming to you live and in a living color from the Radio What Studios. And this is my podcast, What Makes You Famous? It's an extension of the RadioWhat.com internet radio station for quite some time. And if you need DJ services, where do I always send you? DJLittleRock.com. One more time. DJLittleRock.com. Check availability, get a free price quote, and maybe you could have me at your next event. You know I like to party with the people. The people need to be entertained. Are you not entertained? Let me entertain you. Make your next thing a big one. Today on the program, speaking of entertainers, I got Bill Abernathy. Who's Bill Abernathy? Well, you're going to find out in the next few minutes, so stick around. Uh, This week's shows, I have one public show as we break out of this coronavirus quarantine. The Faithful People at the Rab on Friday night. The Rab in Conway, Arkansas. The Video Dance Party Karaoke Jam. They have a full bar, kitchens open, pool tables. In fact, on Friday nights, they have a pool tournament. So if you want to try to make some money playing pool, try your hand at the Rab in Conway, Arkansas. And, you know, in the meantime, you could chill out and... Hey, sing a song, karaoke, on stage at the Rab in Conway, Arkansas. That starts at 8 p.m., and we go until about 12.30 in the a.m. Yeah, so come out and play with us over at the Rab. Conway, Arkansas, Friday night. See you there. All right, party people. I got Bill Abernathy. I got him on Skype. So if you're listening to the audio version of this, I encourage you to check out the video version, youtube.com forward slash user forward slash keys, Dan. And yeah, you can not only hear, but see. But if you're listening to the audio version, that's fine too. So uh, let's get into it with Bill Abernathy, Skyping Bill Abernathy now. software bill abernathy in the house my goodness you know i've been looking forward to this because i've been listening to your music and i'm i'm listening to your sultry sultry sounds you have you have a real breathy style when you sing man it's just it's it's like you're telling a story well all right give the people an idea of who you are bill abernathy before i give my my impressions of you well really Dan, it's very simple. I'm a storyteller with a guitar, right? And, uh, you know, I came up uh, appreciating music of some of the great storytelling artists, singer-songwriters of all time. You know, guys like Jim Croce is one of my favorite guys of all time. Stephen Stills, uh, you know, obviously Crosby, Stills, Nash, Jackson Brown, uh, those guys. Uh, and, And I always appreciated the way that they could take their thoughts and translate that into music in a way in which uh, everybody could understand and kind of relate to. So uh, really just a storyteller with a guitar, just telling stories about things that, that happened to me or some things that uh, have happened to some friends of mine. That's kind of who I am. Man, I appreciate a man who can just grab a guitar and go and just take it, take it on the road. Is this something that you've been wanting to do your whole life? I mean, it, it, it amazes me. I have, 
Let's see. I have one, two. I have three guitars at the house. I can play maybe two chords. I I, I can. Uh, was it two finger Ted? Ted Nugent. I think he plays. He doesn't play many chords, but but uh, it amazes yeah. me that you can move your fingers up and down this neck, these strings, and, and you come up with music. And you're not only playing other people's music. You're playing your own music, stuff that comes out of your noggin, out of your gray matter. That's even. That's double threat. That's a. Uh, that's even doubly impressive right there, Bill Abernathy. <laughs> I don't know about that. I think that, that uh, I've always said that music is a bit magic, right? Nobody really knows where it comes from. And I think, uh, you know, I, I heard one interview with an artist that said that music kind of floats around out there in the universe. And every now and then it just reaches down and taps you on the shoulder and say, hey, why don't you take this and go with it? And, and I kind of feel that way about music. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that, uh, you know, even though I've had, you know, tons of training and experience and all that stuff, uh, that I even know where it comes from, you know, sometimes it just is there and, uh, I'm fortunate enough to, uh, you know, have, have a guitar handy most of the time and sit down and, and figure out what, whatever is in my head and how to translate that onto a guitar. So, well, I mean, for the kids that are coming up, you already alluded to it. You, you've had some kind of training. What kind of training did you have? Has it always been guitar, or was there something else that you started on as a wee-wee little lad? Well, as a wee-wee little lad of about, I don't know, eight years old or so, I started uh, learning how to play the guitar. I had a brother who was uh, nine years older than I, mm-hmm. and uh, he... <laughs> He taught me uh, folk music, you know, from back in the day, right? And um, the, uh, you know, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Paul, you know, uh, Simon and Garfunkel, you know, those kind of guys, the guys that were doing the Traverse picking and and all that stuff. And uh, he taught me how to do that when I was a little bit of a kid. And uh, then uh, I got to where, you know, I was fairly decent at it. And so I took a few lessons. I got lucky uh, that uh, the first guy that I took lessons from was actually quite a good uh, instructor. Uh, And uh, he taught me for a a long time. And then I took some classes uh, at the Kansas City Conservatory of Music with guitar. I also played piano, or I did uh, when I was a kid. I don't really play it so much anymore. Uh, and I actually, my, uh, my scholarships and stuff for music were all about vocal stuff. So, um, you know, I think that, uh, uh, if you have music in you, it finds its way out, you know, whether it's singing or, you know, playing a guitar or, you know, whatever. So, uh, you know, I, I was pretty fortunate that my parents gave me the opportunity, you know, to uh, learn how to play multiple instruments and learn how to do quite a few things. So pretty lucky i mean it sounds like they've give, they gave you the tools uh, that you wanted that you needed uh, did you have any other interests when you were uh, when you were in school did you sports or or was it always music was it always a hey that look at those people uh playing that great music and it's all it, it seems like it's folk music and you you say your brother was nine years older playing folk music my mom turned me on to a lot of a lot of uh lot of those sweet sounds man when i was just a little tiny baby dj i remember i guess the first record the first 45 i had was the bgs but the one that i really remember was gourd's gold that one oh. you know that record i think everybody in the suburbs had that had that record it came with uh, free samples of tide you know every, everybody i knew knew all the songs on that on that record and it that I mean that, yes, and and Jim Croce and some of the ones that you you talked about, but I think that one really was the one that uh, that that made me feel 
I, I think I had three eight-track tapes too. Was the uh, the Eagles' greatest hits, um, Stevie Wonder's Superstition, and Steve Martin's Wild and Crazy Guy for some reason. But uh, there you go. Those shaped me yeah. as a young as a young person. What were your first records? I mean, uh, the ones that that your brother gave you, or maybe somebody else might have given you. What What's the first thing you're listening to? I mean, besides Sesame Street or 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 uh, maybe kids songs, but. Uh, Right, maybe those were it. What shaped right, you? So you're a DJ, and so you're very knowledgeable about music, right? Mm-hmm. And so my very first 45 that I ever bought in my life was by a group called Zager and Evans, and it was called In the Year 2525. Are you familiar with that? I'm familiar, man. That's a, a that's really like a psychedelic, way <clears throat> out there song. And and yeah, if you're it's not. If I'm remembering it right, it sounds like it's it's one of those songs that that has like several. It, it goes far. It seems like the mm-hmm. early '70s there was, and even the late '60s. I guess that was uh, late '60s, right? Yeah, and, yeah. You know those songs. They wanted to push so much stuff into that three to five minutes. Uh, you know, so much instrumentalism and and musicianship that. That song would blow your mind if yeah, you know the kids was, they, they wouldn't understand. There's it rock and roll is I guess it's always been a little bit rep- repetitive, but it's even yeah. more so these days. Pop songs you'll say the same thing over and over again. You'll yeah. say the same thing over and over again. You say the same thing. What was the name of that song? Oh, the song was called "You'll Say the Same Thing Over and Over Again." <laughs> you know, yeah, that's that's probably true. I, I one particular line that I. When I think of that, the Zegger and Evans song is uh, uh, everything you think, do, or say is in the pill that you took today. So, yeah, it was uh, yeah a, a little sci-fi-ish. So it was kind of cool. Yeah. yeah, I mean these yeah. are things these these are things that a folk singer, that a songwriter, that's a songwriter's song. It's got substance. It's got something to it. I, I think okay, maybe I, I can liken it. Some of the hip-hop artists are, are coming up with that. Some of the actual ones that, that really want to tell a story. Well, you know, there's some that, that are really superficial, but then mm-hmm. there's those, those ones that, that want to tell a story. So any storyteller, really, those are the best songs to me because you're not only getting a, you know, maybe a, a good beat, maybe something you could dance to, but you're also getting a lesson. You're getting something... That's going to make you feel something, and and that's mm-hmm. what a folk singer does. And are, is that primarily the box that you you live in, the folk genre, or is it all? Is it country, or you like to go further out? Maybe you don't want to be in a box. Yeah, I don't want to be in a box. And thank you for bringing that up. So uh, on uh, on all of our projects, you know, we have a, a what I call a pretty pretty diverse uh, style of music, and and we play around in, in different genres. You know, that's really the value. Of being a singer-songwriter, you can write them however you want. And, um, you know, I'm pretty fortunate that I work with a lot of really high-quality musicians. And so when I come in and say, hey, man, I want to blues this up, you know, that's fun. You know, that's a good day. Or, uh, now, hell, we're doing one now that is pure country. I mean, pure country. The only real what I would call country song that I've ever done anyway. Uh, but uh, I actually went out and bought a banjo. Uh, because it needed that sound in it, you know, and then, then we have our other songs like uh, uh, the one that's still that's out now and still tracking, you know, through Spotify and all those places is called More Than Meets the Eye. And it's uh, it's more of a rock and roll song. You know, it's got the Eric Clapton type, you know, blues rock licks in it and all, and all that kind of stuff. So uh, the value 
really of being a singer-songwriter is being able to pick whatever genre you think would be the best to translate the the lyric of the song to the listener. And sometimes it's rock and roll. Uh, sometimes it's folk. Sometimes it's country rock. You know, you mentioned the Eagles uh, a little while ago. Uh, you know, it just depends on, on what the really the song wants and, and what's going to be the best genre and the best style of music to use to get the message of the song across. Well, Bill Abernathy, you, you mentioned it earlier. That what You might need to add another adjective to that, independent uh, songwriter. Because when you get chained to a label, uh, and this is the, the horror story that I've been hearing. I, maybe not a horror story. Uh, labels do have their place. But when you get chained to a label, they start dictating what songs uh, that, that need to go on this album. Oh, yeah. I, you know, hey, I want to do a country song. No. We're staying over here. Um, we're going jazz. We're going yeah. R&B. We're going blues. Uh-huh. And this is what you're, where you're going to live. We're not going to give you any promotion if you try to uh, get out of this, uh, this genre. Is, are you completely independent? Have you always been independent? Or, or do you have a label that you're – and I think uh, we got brought together by the MTS group. What, what do uh-huh. they do for you? Uh, the Michael does – Michael of MTS does promotions. Uh, for me so as far as uh creativity and 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 what i do musically it's wide open for me Uh, i do have a label uh uh, that i work with but uh they pretty much let me do whatever i want to do uh they do help uh with some of the uh you know the production and and that kind of thing right uh but as far as you know i I was just uh, i was in the studio last thursday i guess and uh we were working on some songs and we went from uh you know the banjo song which is what we call it whatever uh the banjo song into a song that's very very much like uh the biggest hit that i ever had you know i had a a a tune off my findaway album that was called goodbye will never go come again that actually hit number one in the united states which was cool right but it's one of those finger picky love song you know uh, breathy uh, type of type of things, you know, because I'm really telling a story, right? And so, uh, to to be able to work uh, in an environment where you can switch that quickly from one genre to another is something that's really special to me. And I think it's um, people have told me that it's one of the things that kind of sets me apart uh, is because I don't play uh, the same uh, the same style of music all the time. You know, you may. Uh, uh, you know, you may get some blues or some rock or, you know, that this, uh, there's one song that we're working on, a real jazzy feel to it, you know? So, um, you know, like I said, it, it just depends, uh, uh, the genre of the song really depends to me on, on what musicality is going to do the best job of translating the lyric right to the song so obviously i'm not going to do the uh you know ted nugent three power chords on a flash of fingers if i'm singing a really soft love song right it's just not going to work right so you just have to pick you know you just have to pick oh you might switch it up uh in the in the midst of a concert if they're going to a bill abernathy concert you'll switch it up and you'll blow minds that way you, you know you start pulling that banjo out which i did see i i don't do a lot of uh uh, preparation for these but i did peruse your social media and i did watch some of your videos and man uh, you know the the banjo we just mentioned steve martin that man's a banjo maniac yeah. I, I love him on yeah. the banjo i love i love watching him play i love i've loved his comedy and then he he pulls out a banjo and just wow he really can play oh yeah wow. no, he's good 
he's yeah. good. It was it was kind of funny, you know. I, I wrote this song, and it's a bit of a tongue in cheek song, right? And uh, I wrote it, and I was thinking about, you know, I sat down with my guitar, and I thought, well, you know, it's got this country feel to it. Let's put on some country licks. And the more that I played, the more flashback I had to back in the day when uh, I was trying to impress a girl's father. Um, not necessarily trying to impress the girl, but I was trying to impress her father. And uh, he was a bluegrass guy. And uh, he wanted to know if I could play banjo. So I went out and got a banjo and spent a couple of weeks learning how to play it. I impressed the hell out of him. He really enjoyed it. She dumped me. But, you know, <laughs> such is life, you know. Well, that's what, uh, you know, that's what guys are put on this earth to do, to impress girls, impress the ladies. But uh, well, that's, yeah. very, that's highly unusual that you want to impress a lady's father. Hey, hey, there's some cool, some cool people that you look up to. And I guess uh, if you get a connection and, and you want to see – Hey, if there's a friendship that can blossom out of it, you know, that's something, man, I, I might take a little tangent because psychologically, I don't think men have friends as much as they used to. It seemed like if you watch a, a, a show from the 50s or the 60s, uh, dad will come home or before dad even comes home, he goes and stops off and gets a drink with the boys with his nice suit and tie with his hat, puts his hat on the bar, has a drink and talks with his fellas. I don't think people do that anymore. They go straight home, and and I know your family is is important, but they can't be everything to you. They have they can't be your best friends, and your and, and you know your wife has to be your your lover, your best friend, your confidant, your cook, your your cleaner. Your she's got to be everything to you. Your doctor, you know. But uh, I, I don't know. I guess we. I, I was just thinking about that. That men. Uh, don't have friends like like they did back in the in grandpa's day maybe or or dad's day you know i think we do yeah. I, I think it's just different right so um uh i'll use an example from this past week my oldest friend ever in life's mother passed away and uh i went to the funeral now he and i text and call and talk right pretty frequently but we don't really get together you know it's not like hey let's go down to you know the, the corner bar you know and have a beer it's not something that we do uh but we do talk and text a little bit from time to time and and uh i got to the funeral and and um you know they went through the service and all that and then after the funeral uh he and i were talking and it was like we had never been apart right it was it was like i know i haven't seen you for six months but it's just like it was then. You know, I did a show, uh, a benefit show for some friends of mine's kid that was in a car wreck. And and uh, some of my old, old, old friends from back in the day showed up. And uh, uh, it was like it, it, we were never apart, right? It, it, we just picked up right exactly where we were and telling jokes and having a good time and, and uh, you know, just being really good friends. So I think that guys have friends. I just think it's different. You know, it's a little different than maybe it was in the day. I think yeah. that says a lot about you, Bill Abernathy, is that you you develop relationships that are long-lasting, and you can pick up right where you left off, which is great. I think I have one of those myself. I, I met him back in, in 84. I, I was in 10th grade, class of 86 rules. So, uh, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I met him back then, and we, we don't talk as often as I'd like to. I keep up with him on social media. But uh, old Johnny, when I call him up, it's like we we, we were never separate. So I, yeah. I get I get your feeling there, but uh, I, you know I well I guess I don't go out unless I'm DJing. Uh, you know, do you go out with your friends if you're not playing guitar? If you're not doing an event, 
Bill Abernathy? Uh, sometimes, uh, <laughs> but not not really often. Um, uh, I uh, I tend to like to uh, stay in, in in some element of solitude most of the time. So, uh, in uh, in my nine to five job that I retired from November seventeenth, yay! Right. Uh, uh, I did a lot of of uh talking to large groups right and and i was always the guy at the front of the room and i had to talk and and uh you know do what i do and then of course you know there's the the uh uh the other part of that interaction where you go to dinner with everybody you know because you're doing the nine to five gig right and, and uh um i enjoy that uh but i actually think that i am uh, there's a new classification i read about not too long ago a psychological classification that calls your that says you can be an extroverted introvert and uh i believe that may be who i am because i really enjoy uh solitude I, I enjoy being alone that need you know to be around a lot of people uh, like some folks do um, but when I do go out, you know, we have a really good time and it's not like I'm sitting in the corner cowering, you know, I'm having a good time and telling jokes and, and all that, but it's just not something that really drives me. You know, I don't, uh, I don't make an extra effort, you know, to get together with a bunch of people, you know, I'd really just as soon sit at home and have a conversation one-on-one -on -one, much like you and I are having right now. Uh, to me, that's, uh, that, that's as much fun or even more fun than, than large groups of people. Yeah, I do enjoy picking people's brains. But if you if you like solitary, I think last year was the year for you, man. <laughs> a lot of people were stuck <laughs> yeah, indoors. But, and, but it sounds like even your day job, you were doing some kind of performing, sitting up in front of crowds, talking, keeping them engaged, you know, making sure that they were entertained as well as informed. Uh, I'm not yeah. even sure what the day job was, but that's what, what you're leading me to believe when you were kind of explaining a little bit. And I'm glad you got out of it, man. The golden years are coming. You're still a young man you get to go off and and do things that you really want to do what's a, what's on the bucket list i mean what, what's the first thing before uh, as you uh, uh you know as you uh, break out of the, of the day job this is great uh, yeah no uh, i have some bucket list things uh but the first one that i want to do the big one uh, the biggest one that I have on my list is I've been fortunate through, throughout my life to travel all over the world. And, and uh, I've seen, you know, a million really, really cool things, uh, you know, castles in Scotland and, you know, all over Germany, all over Europe, China, you know, all those places that I've been lucky to do that. Uh, but there's always been one place uh, that I've wanted to go that I've never had an opportunity to go to. And so that is on my bus, covid uh, clears and international travel becomes reasonable again um, and safe. Uh, I will go to Machu Picchu uh, in Peru and uh, spend a couple of weeks. I, it fascinates me. It fascinates me. So uh, that's my big bucket list item for for retirement. Yeah. Man, I worked radio in Miami uh, with a Peruvian guy, and he said he his favorite part of doing radio in Peru was rock and roll, like 50s-style, 60s-style rock and roll. That was big uh, just a, a mere 20 years ago or so. It was still huge in Peru. So, I mean, things are... I guess you other countries you go to and things might be a few years behind, but that in in Peru he said it was it was fifties man and sixties a lot of Elvis a lot of a lot of Beatles a lot of you know a lot of that and he he enjoyed it but man just the 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 architecture of wow. uh, of the Incas and 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 all that that area there that is fascinating 
fascinating. And I, mm-hmm. it, all right, I was talking to a, another man named Ethan, and he's really into that architecture. But he kind of opened my eyes to it: the pyramids in Egypt and the pyramids in in uh, Peru and all over South America. The blocks are essentially the same, even though they never intersected, or did they? How yeah. do we, you know? Yeah. Have you studied any of that before? I mean, what makes you want to go to Machu Picchu? Uh, because nobody knows how it came to be, right? It, it's just uh, it's a place that's you know far older than than a lot of people think it is, and and how why is it there, and and you know what happened there, and and what happened to the people, you know, where'd they go, right? Um, it, it just it fascinates me, you know, those kind of things. I've been to. You know pyramids all over the world, and and uh, you know different ancient ancient sites, and and it really does just fascinate me because I think that we have a a lot of uh, history uh, in our human race that we have here on Earth, yeah, that we have forgotten, and uh, a lot of the learning uh, that came from a lot of that ancient history has been. Uh, has gone by the wayside because you know it doesn't fit the current narrative or whatever, and. Uh, um, it, it just, it just really, it just fascinates me. And, and uh, you know, I, re- I remember I was still nine to five and I was sitting on the top of a pyramid down in South America and I was on a conference call, right? So I had one of these emergency conference calls while I was on day and uh, I'm sitting on top of this, this pyramid and I'm actually on a conference call. And I thought, how wrong is this? <laughs> I mean, I guess I, <laughs> that I, I, I would do that. Yeah, yeah, I remember the early days of, of uh, cell phones uh, being, you know, I'm from Miami, but being in the middle of New Orleans on Bourbon Street, I'm a little cell phone. I guess this is late 80s, early 90s when I first got yeah. my cell phone. And I was like, wow, I'm on a cell phone in the middle of, of the street, you know, no, no cord. That, yeah. that that was amazing but now i mean you're you're on top of a of a of a pyramid an ancient pyramid who knows how long it's been there some people say 10,000 years yeah. you know some people yeah. say, say we've forgotten more than we know now there's I, I guess there's conspiracy or there's uh research that says oh look at look at this uh this drawing it looks like a circuit board could it uh-huh. have been you know, could it have been hey, yeah. these mysteries of, of life, man? I, I think humans are, are are a lot more a lot more diverse than we might think, and and yeah. the ancient humans were a lot smarter than we give them credit for. Uh, they, you know, I, I know I, I'm going back to Miami again. The Coral Castle that was built mm-hmm. supposedly by one guy. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Use some technology that they still can't figure it out, right? Absolutely, so, man. Yeah, those it, things fascinate me. It so. it is fascinating. I, I think uh, I, I think the pyramids might be on my bucket list as well, and, and any of any pyramids. Uh, but but what took you all around the world? Was it the the day job or was it uh, music? Have you done music all around the world, or uh, is this holidays that that you travel? And do you have somebody that you're traveling with? Well, the answer to all those is yes. Uh, so my nine to five guy, I traveled constantly. Um, there were about 20 years of my nine to five that I just, well, I didn't have to pay earnings tax in Kansas City because I was never here. Uh, and traveled all over the world uh, and had all kinds of really cool experiences and and uh, got to meet a lot of cool people and see a lot of different cultures. Uh, also did some music um, uh, across the world uh, a bit. Uh, and um, uh, actually my son 
I've lived in Netherlands, in the Netherlands for a year, and uh, I went over to see him a couple of times. So the answer to your question is yes. Well, how, all, all of those things have taken me, you know, different cool places. How did baby boy get to the Netherlands? Uh, was he from uh, Kansas as well? I'm guessing. Yeah. You, you, yeah you're you're always baseball. been from Kansas. He was playing baseball. So uh, he was a baseball player and, and uh, all through college and got an opportunity uh, even post injury uh, that kept him out of uh, uh, major leagues over here. But uh, post injury, he had an opportunity to go and uh, play ball uh, in Europe. So he uh, signed with a team out of the Netherlands, out of Utrecht, Netherlands, and uh, went over there and played baseball for a year. It's great. It was a great experience for him. Got to travel all over. It was fun. So you're throwing knowledge out there, Bill Abernathy. A lot of people, uh, well, uh, different kinds of people listen to this podcast, and some of them might be athletes, and uh, some athletes think that, hey, after college, if I don't make the big leagues, it's done. It's over. You know, yeah. yes, you, you can make uh, a, a million uh, you know, maybe a million uh, with the big leagues here in the States, but you can make hundreds of thousands if you just head over to Europe and use your talents there. And they'll yeah. be they'll be very happy to take your talents. Even in uh, Japan, the, the, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the Far East, you, you might be able to get some uh, some some work. But man, so your your, your boy was a, a baseball player and he went to the <laughs> Football. Yeah, yeah, he was uh, he was a baseball player, and then uh, um, he got drafted in high school, turned it down, signed with University of Alabama, and uh, went there and had an injury, unfortunately, uh-huh. and then uh, ended his uh, college career at Oklahoma State, and uh, uh, had another injury, unfortunately, uh-huh. and so then he went into coaching, and his injury healed up enough where he could go and play. I mean, no athlete. Um, that wants to finish their career in the training room, right? That's not something anybody wants to do. And he got a chance to finish his, to finish his baseball career on the field and uh, took it and had a great time doing it. So it was a good thing. And more gems, more gems you're giving, Bill Abernathy, uh, to the athletes that are listening they, or the people that, that wonder, how come athletes are paid so much? Because they have a, a, a short shelf life. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, you, yeah. Made, you made uh, $10,000 a week. For a short amount of time, but you're 27. You know? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell this to all of the uh, athletes out there. I, I was a bit of an athlete when I was young, mm. and I played football. Ah, I, the foosball. American, American football. And uh, I, unfortunately, was a quarterback. And, uh, you know, when you're a quarterback, you run around with a, this target on your back, right, and everybody hits you well. Uh, I, uh, uh, I got hurt and, and blew a knee and uh rehabbed it and tried to come back and blew it again and uh that's when i figured out how important music was right (laughs) because i mean guys i mean you mentioned it earlier right guys do things to impress girls that's what they do right and so um you know you play football because it's a lot of fun but it's also cool because you know all the girls think you're a big football star and you got your name in the paper and you know all that stuff and and uh you know they think it's just great well I, i can tell you this after my uh after i my career for, with football ended, right? I found out that you can get the same accolades, you could get the same press, you could get the same girls, and it doesn't hurt playing music. There's no pain involved. So do yourself a favor. If you're not six foot five and 260 pounds of cut, you might pick up a guitar. You might find out it'll work out a little bit better for you. You know? 
Come on, Bill Abernathy. Even in high school, uh, the band geeks, you know, the ones that all the football players uh, pulled the little wedgies out. Uh, you know, you were the quarterback. You, you get the cheerleader. Yeah, you're the, the boss of the team. I think that's where it's at, wouldn't you say? I don't know. I'm just asking. I, I've never been the quarterback. And after my injury, I just found that it was a lot more beneficial from a dating standpoint to sit in the middle of the pep club while everybody else was out there getting their brains beat out. So I found that that, that there was value to that for me. Just All right. So. But back then you were playing <laughs> piano. Were you, were you any kind of a, a good pianist? Was that uh, something that you could have taken on stage at the time? You said oh, that yeah. you've let that go by the wayside lately. Yeah, no, I, I played a little bit of keys back in the day. Uh, but I found that... Uh, uh, number one, you can't carry a piano with you, right? Uh, and you can't um, carry an electric guitar with you because uh, you got to have chords and an amp and all that. And so I found that just being able to play an acoustic guitar and uh, take it with me wherever I went uh, was really a pretty good gig. So that's really, you know, I love acoustic guitars. I have 13 of them, I think, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, that they're much more flexible. They're a much more flexible thing. But, yeah, I played keys and, and, and did all that. But uh, I'm, I'm really locked into acoustic guitars for the most part. I have electrics and Les Pauls and all that crap. But uh, most of the time I, I sit down, it's it's a guitar that doesn't have to be plugged in. So Well, that's something that impresses me, too. It, people uh, think, uh, they, they ask me, hey, how come you had, well, when I had records, you know, when I was uh, er- earlier in the in the DJ, when I started in '86, actually, I, I I was I was DJing for house parties. But in '86, I got got my first paid gig. And mm-hmm. uh, how come you keep buying records? Why do you have so many records? Why do you have so many records? Same reason why you have so many guitars. You can only play one at a time, right? What, what, why so many guitars? Why? What, what was the first one that you got when you were eight years old? And and then why did you uh, leave that one behind? Was it did it get too small? Was it cheap or what? And, and then uh, why have you? Let me ask you a question, yeah. Mr. DJ. Right? Yeah, yeah. How many records did you have that gave you the exact same feeling when you played them? Absolutely. Each one was a little bit different, right? Each one, you are correct. Each guitar has its own personality, and and uh, you know I use uh, you know all my all my guitars, but I use them for different things. Some of them like you know the more raucous you know rock and roll type stuff, uh, and some of them uh, really like the the really fitty, pretty finger picker stuff. You know, I've got three twelve strings um, that are all you know have a different. They all have a different feel. They all have a different personality, and so they match with different songs. Right. So much like an album, you know, it doesn't matter if you're listening to uh, now I might date myself here, but let's say I'm listening to a Kansas album. Mm-hmm. Uh, each one of their albums gave, gives me a different feel, though it's the same group. It's the same musicians. Right. But each one of those albums has a different feel to it. It's the same with an instrument. Yeah, I was. Uh, I'm. I'm not afraid to say I'm 52 years old. Uh, I celebrate it. Uh, you know, before I was 50, I, I thought that there were, there might be a shelf life on the entertainment business. But now, you know, I'm 50. I'll shout her from the rooftops. And uh, you know, like I said, class of '86. But you're talking about records and and man, earlier I was listening to a and he mentioned Elvis Costello and all his different types of of music. And he mm-hmm. thought that uh, was it. The, what was the the last the one that he he thought would be his last record, and it was a piece of garbage because the studio just made him play, uh, made him uh, use songs that he didn't want. I think it was called the last 
record or it was something mm-hmm. that was it was more yeah. of the it, it had an end feel to it but there's mm-hmm. a man who had different styles every record my favorite my personal favorite is queen and you know mm-hmm. every every record completely different even on the record itself you had different types of music so yeah. people that don't limit themselves i i'm with you on that I'm, i definitely am with you but how do you know which guitar to pick up for what song you, is it automatic you say oh i'm gonna play this song oh i need that x right there give me, uh, no, give me the old number two certainly so uh, uh i have a, a couple of guitars that i use primarily when i write okay um and uh, one of them's a six string. One of them's one of my weird guitars. It's a nine string guitar, and Why? Uh, <laughs> I use those when I write because they're the most comfortable guitar for me to play, right? And so I can experiment on them. I can fool around and, and do different things. Uh, but at some point, myself will translate to maybe those guitars or maybe a different guitar. It just it's all feel. It's a feel thing for me. So. Uh, even my 12 strings, I have two 12 strings that are exact same make in the exact same model. Uh, one of them is a 1974, uh, vintage. And the other one is a 2000, oh, I don't know, 18 maybe. Right. And, uh, they're made out of different wood and they sound completely different and they like to be played different ways, right? Not, not every guitar is a pick it up and bang the hell out of it. You know, some of them just don't do well with that. Right. So, uh, again, you know, much, much like, uh, much like I mentioned earlier, the song itself kind of dictates the feel. And once you have the feel, uh, I search for the guitar, uh, that gives that, that can create that noise that can create that sound. And if I don't have one, I go get one that will. So oh. hence the reason I have so many. <laughs> well, me not being a guitar player, and I, I'm guessing a 12-string, well, I have this feeling that a 12-string is a six-string with double strings on each on each string, right? On each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Essentially, that's pretty yeah. much it. But I've never heard of a, of a nine-string. Is that more, more high or more bottom? What, what uh, can you do with like a 12-string? Uh, yeah. The way that it's built, it's like a 12-string, only there's no octaves, uh, octave strings on the on the bottom three notes. So I, I got I started playing this because I, I used to almost always play 12-strings. And 12-strings are great, and they sound phenomenal, but they are a beast to tune. And back in the day when I was young and pretty and hard-bodied and had long <laughs> hair, I used to play a lot of... Uh, uh, festivals and stuff outside, right? Well, when you're outside with an acoustic instrument that's made out of wood and it's humid and it's hot, they don't like that, right? And uh, so, you know, I would have a, a guitar tech bring me a different guitar every song because, you know, they just wouldn't stay in tune. And my uh, uh, friend of mine uh, that uh, uh, ran sound for me back in the day called me one day. He was in Nashville and he called me one day and he said, Bill, I found you a guitar. I'm shipping it to you. And that's like saying, Dan, I just found you a wife. She's on the way, right? <laughs> it, it, that's not a marriage that is is one of those things that you can plan, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and I thought, well, that's weird. And, but it showed up, and uh, I sat down and played it. First, I looked at it, and I thought, well, this is a weird thing. Uh, and then I sat down and played it, and I thought, well, that's kind of cool. And then I played it and played it and played it. And, it, and it's the guitar. It's my go-to guitar. I call it the Mutant. Uh, because it's it's a weird guitar, but uh, uh, it's my go-to guitar. I, it's been with me all over the world, and and I have never once played live that I didn't play that guitar. So 
does it also have the problem that it uh, falls out of uh, of tune often? As I, I, I can imagine, with a twelve string, you know, that's that's six more strings that you have to keep in line, and they have to sing together, right? They have to yeah. be in sync somewhat. Uh, a, a twelve string. The, okay, just briefly, the difference between a twelve string and a six string. What's the advantage of having that twelve string? Is it a fuller sound? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's octaves. So uh, the first four, the first four bass notes. Uh, bass strings on the guitar are octaved, right? So you have a you know a G and a high G, you know, and uh, it gives you a much fuller sound. And um, you know you can tell. A lot of people think that twelve strings tinkle. You know they they sound tinkly, uh, which is true uh, at some points. But uh, uh, you know I have one uh, that I call the dude because the dude abides, <laughs> uh, and uh, he, he likes to play hard. He he likes you to to really strum him hard and kind of pound on him a little bit. And he does really great with that, you know? So, uh, you know, again, it's just uh, different instruments, but yes, uh, the nine strings stay, I have two of them now, but uh, um, the nine strings strings stay in tune. That's hard to say. (laughs) The nine strings stay in tune. That's a, that's like a tongue twister, right? They stay in tune far better um, than, than the 12 strings do, particularly if you're in an environment where it, that, it, that you don't have a controlled temperature and humidity. Well, yeah. I'm guessing that you're primarily a solo act. Is it, is it um, something that you could take on stage, have that full sound, and play any song on? Or is it, is it geared towards certain types of music? Uh, these different guitars. Well, like I said, each guitar has a personality. Yeah. So typically when I, like when I was touring last year, mm. uh, pre-COVID, one of the few guys that actually got a tour in before COVID hit. Um, I, I only that took, January was great. <laughs> yeah, no, it was freaking great. It was wonderful. I had a great time. Uh, but uh, it was a challenge for me, to be honest with you, because I only took four guitars. And that was uh, that was hard for me because not only you know guitars have personalities, but I play in uh, multiple different tunings, right? So you know, there's the standard guitar tuning, and then I have you know like nine different other tunings that I use, and uh, uh, it's one of the reasons why I have so many guitars. They're tuned a certain way, right? And uh, uh, that was a bit of a challenge for me, you know, to uh, you know, change tunings and stuff on stage. So it was, it was fun. It was fun. But well, it's I did be, really good. Yeah, I had friends that were very concerned about me because I was only going to be able to take four guitars. They were very nervous for me. So. Where was that tour? How far did you go with four guitars? Uh, well, uh, 4,300 miles. So I went uh, from Kansas City to Houston and then to Austin, then St. Louis, Missouri, back to Kansas City, then to Denver, Boulder, Vail, a couple other places in in Colorado ended up in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. So So did you stay on the ground on this one? Was this all a road trip or was there airplanes involved? Well, uh, I don't fly. So um, (laughs) that's what I was getting at. I don't know how guitars travel, how musical instruments travel uh, or do they travel that well? Yeah, when when I play shows, and I do, uh, when I play shows that are fly in, fly out, I typically rent an instrument to play. Um, Ooh, how does that feel? That's like getting a, a a a pro, you know, like a a lady of the night. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like dating, uh, going out with your best friend's wife, right? So Jeez. it's a. Uh, 
but you know it's interesting because you know you get to play in different instruments and you know a lot of times uh there'll be uh, luthiers or guitar builders you know in the area that'll that'll uh, reach out and, and uh, ask me to play their instruments and so that's kind of cool you know that you get to play you know these custom handmade uh guitars and stuff so it, it, it works out it's kind of fun it's it's a bit nerve-wracking because you don't know what you're going to get right but uh generally speaking i've had good experience with that well the kids just parked up you know they, they're they always looking for sponsorships uh is are these guitars when you play them or did, did they uh throw you a couple bones uh to play their guitar like uh hey what are you playing on stage oh i'm playing uh jimmy's axe and they throw mm. you a couple bones is that a an opportunity to make sure. a little bit yeah sure sure you know that, so people like that you know so if you're playing you know some pretty big shows and you're going to get a lot of of uh, uh people watching you know and other guitar players particularly if you can play a bit uh you know then uh, yeah yeah they enjoy that yeah, they give you a little something you know t-shirt you know something so yeah well i mean judging it sounds like you've got a few years under your belt i mean you've you, when you were in kansas uh starting off was it uh uh house parties and uh, you know what what were you what were you doing to 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 cut your chops and uh, <laughs> when did you think that you were uh, big enough to to go out and and do a solo gig and actually command some some dough well i didn't ever have a chance not to so i started doing church music right when i was a kid so i was like i don't know 12 13 something like that and and uh got involved with the, this group of people that traveled all over the united states and uh you know, we did that that whole thing in church camps and, you know, that kind of thing. And some of them were really big. I mean, we played one down in uh, uh, the Houston or Dallas area. I remember it was a long time ago. There, there were like five, 6,000 people there, right? And uh, so, you know, I started doing that when I was really young. And so, um, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. Uh, and uh, that was fun. And it was an easy translation. Uh, translation Is that the word I'm looking for? Um from that world into you know the music that i really like to do which is the stuff that i do now and uh you know all through school i play and you know different shows and different things and and uh, you know then there, there was the whole coffee shop scene you know which okay. was way cool and uh, i enjoyed doing that and uh, uh you know then it kind of went from there and you know you play a few festivals and you know folks like what you do and then the next thing you know you play more you play more. so uh it's uh you know, it's a lot of fun. I enjoy it, and and uh, you know, it's it's a nice hobby for well, me. Well, Bill Abernathy, uh, back in the coffee shop days, was that still high school? Was that after high school? Uh, did you go to any college? Uh, uh, when I yeah, when I was in high school, I'd play two or three nights a week at different places around Kansas City. So um, I wasn't really so engaged in school. That's probably not a good thing to say to the young guys. Uh, I got good grades. Um, I went but, to school uh, a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I wasn't so engaged. I didn't see a lot of value in it. And then, uh, you know, I studied music in college and, and uh, still played through the whole thing. So, uh, you know, uh, then I quit. You know, I, I quit playing music for a long time. Uh, so I, I got, uh, you know, I had kids and, and uh, you know, I, I mentioned my son. You know, he was quite an athlete. My daughter was also quite an athlete. She was a Division One uh, fast pitch softball pitcher, and uh, that that is a lifestyle that is not conducive to doing much else other than going to ball games and traveling all over the country, uh, watching them play ball. So I never really quit playing. Uh, I never quit writing. I just kind of stopped playing out, stopped playing live, and uh, uh, went back to it. 
uh, when they got out of college and started their lives and kind of got their got their lives going on, you know, I went back and said, you know, I wonder if, any, if there's any market for this kind of stuff that I do. So, you know, we made a little acoustic album and put it out and, you know, people picked it up and they liked it. And, uh, you know, we won some awards and some different things with it. And so we just kind of evolved from there. So, well, it sounds like at some point life happened that uh, you had to get responsible, get a day job, get some insurance. <laughs> a lot of people, uh, don't know that, that, uh, when you're a solo musician, when you're an independent artist, you don't have any insurance. You know, it's nice to have a, a steady gig, a steady day job that can afford you to maybe do a, a couple of gigs here and there per week. It's, yeah. And it's nice to have insurance for the family. That It's responsible. You did good. You you became a responsible adult. You raised a couple couple kids and uh, and now you're back back in action, man. And now yeah. that, you, you know, you're done with the day job. That's great. And uh, it's all about uh, it's all about Bill Abernathy, the singer songwriter. Uh, what, what kind of, I mean, as we're breaking out of this coronavirus, uh, if anybody's uh, listening to this in 20 years and this becomes the time capsule that people listen to uh, at this particular time, we're breaking out of coronavirus. People are getting shots. There's some there. We're getting back to normal. Uh, you know, as we're getting back to normal, what are you doing? Uh, what, where are you heading? Well, right now, uh, uh, you know, we were pretty fortunate. Again, you know, we got the tour in right before before, before COVID hit. And, uh, you know, when you, when you do one of those, there's always a lot of follow-up. And, and when COVID uh, hit hard and we went into lockdown, I was fortunate that I had uh, technology, you know, technology available to me. So I don't even know how many uh, live stream concerts and that kind of thing that I've done. Uh, I've played a lot uh, during COVID. We did, we did this crazy thing. I, I'm not known for, for uh, uh, taking requests, right? It's, it's not really something that I'm real comfortable doing. And uh, uh, we were trying to figure out, I live in a, in a historic area of Kansas City called the Kansas City City Market. And there's a lot of mom and pop shops and a lot of, mom-and-pop restaurants and, you know, great entrepreneurs and, you know, uh, good people that are really a big part uh, of my life. And, and obviously COVID, you know, you shut everything down and nobody can get out. So we were trying to figure out how we could help, uh, you know, keep the music going a, a bit and then help as much as we can uh, could with uh, some of the local businesses. And so we came up, we came up with this idea that we called the coronavirus sessions that I did live in my loft. Okay. And, uh, uh, you know, I hooked up a bunch of technology and cameras and, you know, all that stuff. And, and what we did was uh, we took requests, right? And so somebody would request a song. And then what I would do is I'd figure that song out and I would make a video of it, you know, a live video, just me playing it. And uh, in re I would post that out on social media. And in return, what I asked was uh, that whoever had requested that song, if they were a local business. Now, it didn't have to be a local Kansas City business. You know, we had people, fans all over the country, right? And so, um, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting interesting thing, you know, it, and uh, it worked out really well. And a lot of a lot of businesses really appreciated the support. And you know, it was fun. It was a fun thing. I played songs that I would never have thought to play. <laughs> uh, I played a few songs that I guarantee you I will never think to play again. Uh, but, example, uh, pick uh, one. Give me uh, give me example. Uh, oh, Oh my God! Um, I got a request from, and it was a joke, I think. Uh, 
but anyway, they were going to, you know, the person that requested it said, if you record this song for me, I'll send, you know, a thousand dollars to, you know, Joe bag of donuts nail salon or something, you know? And, uh, so I thought, well, you know, yeah, I could do this, you know, and they requested two out of three, eight bad by meatloaf. Why not? Now I am an acoustic singer, songwriter, guitar player, right? And I've now got to figure out how to play and deliver two out of three ain't bad by meatloaf. Yeah, so many uh, theatrics, uh, so many changes. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the music, I mean, the music wasn't that hard. Uh, but the, the lyrics of that song are really, uh, how can I say this? In it? I should be politically correct, I suppose. <laughs> uh, a lot of them make no sense. Okay? <laughs> there's, there's no sense to them. It's almost like I need something that rhymes with this. I'm just going to say this, and it doesn't matter if it makes any sense or not. And so... What I did was, is I, I did a, did this recording. It's out on my Facebook stuff. You can find it out there. Uh, I did this recording of Two Out of Three Ain't Bad by Meatloaf, but I did it somewhat as a parody. And uh, I wore sunglasses to maintain my anonymity. But, uh, you know, folks liked it, you know, and they, and they enjoyed seeing it. And it was kind of a fun thing to do. So, you know, it was a, it was a fun afternoon to put, well, that, put that together. Yeah, it's good to get out of your comfort zone, man, and to, yeah. and to please a fan. And maybe yeah. he, he may or may not have thrown uh, a thousand bucks at J- Jimmy Joe's nail salon or whatever, you know. But uh, yeah. you know, you were trying to help out. But that story kind of ter- uh, took a different twist. I thought maybe they were piping your live stream into their various businesses, and people were uh, requesting. But creators got to create, man. That's a a creative way of uh, of keeping your music alive and keeping keeping your chops uh, going and because uh, these days we we have to be much more than the entertainers that we are you being the guitar player me being a DJ so have to be our own promoters and and yeah. and make sure that we're out there on social media because people's attention spans are very very short you know if you're not always in their face they're going to forget you have you ever had that feeling before well of course you know it's been written about you know Millions and millions and millions of times. Let's see. Uh, let me quote some lyrics. This is a Billy Joel song that's called The Entertainer. And uh, I'm now going to try to quote these live. And so I'm probably going to screw this up just as a note to self. But uh, the, the song says, I am the entertainer and I bring to you my songs. I'd like to spend a day or two, but I can't stay that long. I've got to meet expenses. I've got to stay in line. I got to get those fees to the agencies. I'd love to stay, but there's bills to pay, so I just don't have the time. But my favorite verse of that, if I can get it out without screwing it up, uh, I am the entertainer, and I bring to you my songs. You heard my latest record. It's been on, well, I kind of got that screwed up somehow. Uh, but there's a line in there that actually talks about our lovely attention span, right? Um, he says he had written a song, and it said uh, he was, again, in the industry, right? And it was a beautiful song, but it ran too long. If you're going to have a hit, you got to make it quick. So they cut it down to 3.05. Welcome to our attention span. We were programmed from the 50s on to have a three-minute and five-second attention span. Thank oh, yeah. My yeah. favorite, Bohemian Rhapsody, six minutes and change. And, and, uh, exactly. And, and Freddie uh, Mercury and the boys decided – I'm not cutting it down. We're not cutting it down. We're releasing it like this. And fortunately, in 1975, they had some kind of uh, power 
to to be able to to release it uh, that way and they did and they did and i'm glad that you're you're throwing stuff out there i mean what gave you the wherewithal that you could write music were you a a a poet in school or or is poetry and and lyric writing different somehow uh not so much different i don't think but uh there is a difference between a poem and a lyric but i I got into it to to impress a girl i mean (laughs) that's what it's all about right and um, you know, I, I you know I, was, I sang a song at, at school at some talent show or something, right? When I was in junior high, and uh, uh, you know, this girl was all about it, and she thought it was great. And you know, she she asked me, she said, uh, uh, "Could you write me a song?" And I thought, well, hell, how hard could it be? And then I realized how hard it could be. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's how that's how I got started doing it. Was just trying to impress a chick. Did you uh, go with the low-hanging fruit and just say her name over and over and over, or or did you uh, find something about her and and and, uh, and use that as your inspiration? What was your oh, muse? I'm, I'm telling you, it was so bad. <laughs> right, it's the song. It's so bad that it, it has burned itself into my memory. Right, because I was trying to be like all artsy. Yeah. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's that draw and all that, right? And, and I think it, it went something like, uh, uh, the sun is rising into limpid pools of perfect light, but I myself absorb that light with awe and wonder and light or some crap. You know, it was, it was horrible. It was that horrible. Shakespeare meets the Moody Blues, man. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or in the year 2025, 20, 25, to bring it all the way back. That was, that yeah, was good, yeah, no, man. You know, it was terrible. It was terrible. But, uh, you know, it ended up, uh, you know, that was kind of the start of it. And then, you know, I wrote a few other little cutesy little, what I would call bubblegummy songs, you know, baby, 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 you know, I love you, love you, love this stuff. And and uh, then after that, I, I got to the point where uh, uh, I didn't see the value of doing that because, you know, there's there's a million baby, 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 you know, I love you, love you, love you songs. So I thought, you know, I have interesting things that happened to me in my life. Maybe I'll just write about those. And that's kind of where it took off. Yeah. Well, heck yeah you've been all over the world i mean is that the inspiration uh, when you see stuff all over the world i'm glad that there's people like you and i know that there's a lot of singer songwriters and a lot of songwriters and a lot of singers but uh you know singer songwriters that puts the uh th- that that becomes fewer but to be able to sing the songs that you've written that are you inspired by the places that you go it, the experiences do you do you remember things that you've done and and do you write things down as you see them or or or, or when you get back you kind of try to formulate everything well i'm not smart enough to remember any, everything <laughs> so what what i do is uh, it's a mess to be honest with you uh, i have a thought or an idea and i'll scribble it down on a post-it note or i'll send myself a text oh or, or put a note in my phone uh, as a matter of fact, I have a song right now that started off as a, as a note in my phone. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of get all these these little pieces of paper together. It's a bit like putting together a puzzle, right? And, <laughs> and you know, you kind of figure it all out, you know. But uh, uh, it starts off as a total holy hell mess uh, with a bunch of random thoughts that sometimes are so disjointed that they don't even go together, right? Uh, but then you start putting it together and you start figuring out, okay, well, if I'm, if this is what I'm trying to say, how am I going to do that? And then inevitably, you know, you'll remember what happened, uh, that caused you to have that thought, 
right? And it was a story or it was a circumstance or it was a place or it was a person or, or, and then, you know, you kind of just let your imagination take off and, and, uh, off you go. Yeah. And then, you know, in a while, you know, I was songwriting to me is kind of like making a stew, uh, like a, like a good or really good beef stew. You know, you get all the basic parts, you know, which is all these little pieces of paper, right? And you kind of throw them in the crock pot and turn it on and then taste it every so often and add a little bit and add a little bit and add a little bit until, you know, it's done. And that's kind of a bit like songwriting to me. You know, the friends will ask me, they say, yeah, how's that song coming? And I'll just tell them it's still cooking. You know, it's not done yet. It's still cooking. So, man, I was listening to, uh, to a podcast earlier about uh, uh, Hallelujah, the song Hallelujah. <laughs> Leonard Cohen, when he first was Beautiful. writing that song, he, he, he told, I think it was might have been Dylan, Bob Dylan, that uh, that it took him two years to write it. But no, it, he had 50 plus verses to that song at points and whether they were little tweaks or things i mean when you're songwriting it does it come quickly can can you write a song in 15 minutes or does it always take weeks maybe months or is it everyone every song is different now the answer to that is yes Mm. um so some some songs uh come relatively quickly uh they don't get tweaked right quickly but the, the base of the song, you know, they maybe some of the lyrics and the chorus and, you know, maybe a bridge or whatever, that'll come pretty quickly. But then you have to kind of wordsmith them a bit, you know, and, and tweak them up and put them in the right tempos and candor and all that. Uh, but I have a song uh, that is on my Find A Way album that's called Meant To Be. And it literally took me 40 some odd years to write it. Uh, uh, it, was a, uh, it was a song about a girl. <laughs> Who knows? It's that same uh, song you were just talking about. What is it that just developed over forty years? Yeah, maybe that. Maybe that. <laughs> maybe that's the answer. Uh, I think it was a different girl. But anyway, okay. <laughs> uh, I I had you know was friends with this guy when we were in high school, and, and uh, we had you know signed everybody's yearbooks, you know, and all that craziness, you know, and and it was cute, you know, that was a good time, and uh, uh, we we had a high school reunion. And uh, I'm on the committee because I guess they needed a hippie contingent on a committee. Not sure. But uh, uh, I was they did this all on Facebook, you know, and so I kept getting these friend requests from people uh, that I could, you know, I don't remember, you know, it was a long time ago. And so I got my yearbook out and I'm looking through, you know, I'd get a friend request from Joe Bag of Donuts and I'd look up Joe Bag of Donuts and I'd realize, hey, I remember this guy. right? And uh, uh, I was going through that and I, I saw where this one particular gal had written in my yearbook, if uh, she, you know, thank you, you know, we had a great time, I'm really glad we dated, blah, 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 and if it's meant to be, it will be, right? And uh, I had actually, at that time, taken one of my little notes, right? And I'd written down a couple of lines for a song and stuck them in my yearbook, okay, and forgot about it. Right. You know, that was back in the 70s. So forgetting was easy to do because of, you know, societal pressures or whatever. (laughs) Um, And I was uh, uh, we did this reunion thing. It's like 40 year reunion. It was a long time. And and uh, I was going through looking and I find this and I find these words. Right. And we're in the midst of recording the Findaway album. And. I looked at that and I thought, you know, I should do something with this. So I took them out and I put them in my briefcase and I was flying to Canada on business. 
And I thought, maybe I'll play around with this on the plane, you know. And uh, I ended up, I ended up finishing it out and uh, putting it on the album. So that one took me 40-some-odd years to write. Amazing. Amazing. And that was your muse, man. Meant to be. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, that's uh, okay. And you said that you had, um, you have technology. Are you recording everything yourself? Have you always recorded yourself, or do you have studios that you go into there in Kansas City or around around the world? I mean, you can give shout outs to people that have helped you along the way. I guess we we could start to wind this thing down. Uh, I don't want to take all your time, but uh, you know, where where are you doing your recording at home, or, or are you doing studios? Yeah, I don't record at home. Uh, I practice at home and I do record my practice sessions, you know, so uh, but as far as doing the real recordings, you know, the albums and, and all that stuff, I use uh, uh, studios around Kansas City. The, the primary one is L.A. Audio uh, in Olathe, Kansas, and he's about to retire uh, and uh, uh, move on. So I'll have to move to a different studio. But uh, I've recorded in, I don't even know how many studios around Kansas City. So, uh, but no, I don't do anything. Um, uh, I have a lot of technology that I use when I'm writing and I'm trying to figure stuff out and parts and what have you. Uh, but uh, as far as doing the actual recordings, I go I go into a, a full recording studio and do that. But you you said you did you write on a piano before and now you write on guitar primarily? Did you, have you ever written on a piano? Or, or yeah, was, yeah, a, a little bit back when I was young. And as a matter of fact, I am I have a song. Uh, in my head right now, there's probably a, a piano song, and so I'll have to bust out the old keyboard and, and get through it um, and, and work on it. So, you know, it just depends on, you know, it's just like we talked about earlier, it just depends on the song. Right? Yeah, talking to different songwriters, you know, trying to figure out what's your process. You know, I, I hate that question, too. But, uh, you know, I've, I think we've pretty much figured out what your process is and, and how you get your muse. You get it from different places. You, you yeah. never know what's gonna, what idea is going to strike you and, and it's going to come out on paper and then eventually uh, out of your guitar or, or even piano. But uh, it's beautiful, yeah, man. Yeah. It, well, uh, I think the, the, the key to me is, and this is something that is a little bit different than, than some songwriters, is I always, always write the lyrics first for a song before I even pick up a guitar. Now, they may not be done, right? And they may need to be tweaked, and they may need this, and they may not that, but I always write lyrics first. And, uh, uh, you know, a lot of guys will do that differently, you know, like uh, uh, the Rolling Stones, for example. Uh, you know, they're, they're famous for coming up with a great lick, you know, a great guitar lick, and then they just write lyrics around that lick. Uh, um, I'm not that guy. So I write the, the lyrics and I write the song, and then I figure out, you know, what I think to be a cool lick, uh, two cool licks to put into it. But uh, uh, I do, I, I actually do, I always write the story slash lyrics first before i even start playing around with any kind of music well obviously you're a songwriter rather than a you know the the musical because i there i guess there is something to be said uh for the stones and the you know tom sure. petty and and uh i guess the uh, rush you know those famous guitar licks that mm -hmm. as soon as you hear those i can name that tune in three notes Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I know that song. Oh, yeah, it's Jumpin' Jack yeah. Flash. I get it, you know? Yeah, I, I would never say that that's wrong because yeah. I don't think there is a right and a wrong. It's just not who, that's not how I work, but it's clearly how they work. 
And, and uh, you know, they make a lot of money doing it. So, you know, more power to them. Yeah, you struck a chord in my head when you mentioned that. But, uh, well, I mean, while you're writing lyrics, you must have uh, melodies in your head. And thankfully, you're a musician that can translate those melodies uh, onto a guitar, you know, and, yeah, and, and put them out to the world. It's beautiful. You know, sometimes, sometimes I've written written some lyrics, and and you know I've walked away, and you know went to the store, or went walking around, or whatever. Took my dog out, you know, whatever, and then I'll start humming it, right? And it kind of comes to me, right? It's not like I sit down and go, oh well, you know, I need to skip an octave here, and this one needs a fifth, and that's a seventh, and that's not how it works for me. It's kind of kind of hear it and hum it, though. and then off we go. Bill Abernathy, I've learned a, a little bit about you. My listeners have learned a little bit about you. I don't want to take all day, but I don't want this to be the last time that we chit-chat. As things uh, progress and you have things that you, you want to promote, in fact, if you have anything on that out right now that you'd like to promote that people can go out and buy and, and tell people how to get a hold of you on social media and what have you, and I know uh, I've been throwing a, a couple things at you, if you want to give some shout-outs to people that have helped you along the way. This is your time right now. All right. Well, I'll, I'll just go with the, the tune that we have out right now. It's a single uh, that will be part of a bigger a bigger project that we're currently working on. But I have a tune out right now that's called More Than Meets the Eye. And uh, it's uh, it, it's an interesting song. It's kind of a rocker, actually. And uh, uh, it's, it's a little bit about our society today. You know, it's kind of a, a darker, almost quasi-political type song. But... Uh, it talks about, you know, a lot of the things that are going on in the world right now. And, you know, United States is, is a mess. You know, we are who we are, right? And uh, uh, I find it interesting uh, always to look at what's going on in the world today and look at society and try to figure out, you know, what what's really going on. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, uh, but more than meets the eye is, is more of a... Well, a, a good analogy is the forest for the trees, right? I think sometimes we get so locked into the details of all this crap that they throw out us 24-7 on the, quote, news stations, right, that we forget that there's a bigger picture, right? And so more than meets the eye is really a challenge to us to, to step back from the trees, if you would, and take a bigger look, a wider look at the forest, right? To see what's really going on behind all of these things that we have going on. But uh, uh, More Than Meets the Eye has been out since November uh, of last year, and it's done extremely well um, uh, across, uh, you know, Spotify and Amazon and iTunes and all that. Um, and uh, there's a pretty cool lyric video uh, that we put out on YouTube. Uh, that's done, you know, for an independent guy. I think it's somewhere around, I don't know, 30,000 streams or something. It's it's, it's picked up quite a bit, right? Uh, it's pretty interesting. So if, if folks want to see kind of one side of uh, some of the stuff that I do, more than meets the eye is the, is the latest and greatest that we have out there. Uh, currently working on uh, the rest of that project. Go back in the studio on Thursday and uh, continue to work. But, um, you know, you can, if you can find my stuff, uh, anywhere, uh, you know, I always like to say uh, Google Bill Abernathy, and if I'm not the first five hits that you get, uh, please let me know because I'll call Michael at MTS. <laughs> That's no, his job. you are actually number one <laughs> out of all the Bill Abernathys in the whole wide world, and I think I've had another Bill Abernathy on this podcast about a year and a half ago. And of all the ones in the world, you are number one on my Google search, which is great, and your your website. 
BillAbernathy.com, and you have all your social media uh, located underneath of that, and yeah. I'll put that all in the show notes for sure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're doing a great job keeping your, your name out there and getting the music out there. But I think that was the, the one, one of the few songs that I listened to that was real breathy and, and bassy with your, yeah. your wonderful voice. But you did. It was a time capsule or it is a time capsule of what's been happening over the last year or so. And, mm-hmm. and what's going on in the world, even right now. It's, uh, yeah, I can tell that you're a very thoughtful person when you put that, when you put that together. You were very thought, uh, mindful of what was going on, and you have opinions of what was happening, which is great. Yeah, I, I've been known to have opinions, but we can blame that on quarantine, right? I've had plenty of time to sit around and watch the news. That's the problem. <laughs> we all got time. I think when I first started this podcast, there were about a half a million podcasts. Now there's a million. <laughs> I think over the last year, it, it doubled. <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, I think people have a lot of time on their hands, got a lot of things to say, uh, and trying to keep that creative juice flowing, man. And that's uh, that's what you're doing, Bill. Bill Abernathy. You, you keep saying we. Is there a Bill Abernathy band, or or is it all you? Uh, well, I have a group of musicians that I play with, you know, and, and we do band shows, you know, from time to time. Um, yeah. But uh, I have a support group. You know, as uh, folks that help me, you know, Michael uh, from MTS Management is is certainly one of those uh, taking care of promotions. I have my daughter, who's a uh, uh, social media marketing person, and she takes care of of all that social media stuff uh, for the most part for me. And then, you know, other people that uh, I have a really small circle of of really good friends that I bounce ideas off of and. Uh, I sent him out uh, uh, the lyrics to a song uh, that that we're currently recording right now, and said, "Just tell me what you think this means." You know, to, that's always intriguing to me. You know, and uh, yeah, so so it's it's a we thing. It's not it's not all about me. No, it can't be. It, even when you go into the studio, you have to have somebody somebody's discerning ear. You can come in with a with an idea. But thankfully, there's people behind that board that have better ears than I do and have been doing it longer than we have and, and can, uh, can kind of uh, chip away at that marble and get that great statue or the, that great piece of art uh, to come out. And, yeah, I'm, I'm glad we have collaborations. It's, I work well with others, and it looks like Bill Abernathy works well with others, too. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's important to have, have those people that you know and you trust, yeah. right? Uh, particularly, you know, when I'm recording, I lie on the guys to say, man, that just sucks. You know, <laughs> let that go. That's not a good idea, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that happens from time to time. Or, or, you know, if you record, you know, I'm not a, as young a pup as I once was, right? And so some days uh, you're having a really good vocal day, you know, and some days you don't. And uh, rather than sit there and kind of grind and grind and grind, you know, somebody's just going to say, hey, Bill, today's not the day. Let's go play some guitars or something, you know. So uh, I think you have to have that, you know, and you have to have that uh, trust and confidence in the people that you work with. It'll tell you, hey, today's just not your day, man. Let's do something else. So Bill Abernathy not surrounding himself with yes men. Oh, you're the best. You're wonderful. That sounded great. 
And then, and meanwhile, behind your back, pee wee. <laughs> no, yeah, no, 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 no. If I suck, if I suck, I suck. I think I've been around long enough that uh, I, I'm I'm good with that. Very good. Man. <laughs> it's a yeah. bad day. It's a bad day. You like know? I said, once you get to a certain age, man, just a hey, nothing bothers you. The things roll off, and and you become a teacher. And once you know what you know. Now you're going to teach the next generation, which you're already doing. It sounds like your your daughter is uh, already helping you out with the biz, you know, and that's a that's a wonderful thing that you've raised some kids that that are actually taking interest in what you do and and even helping with the business. So yes, excellent, excellent, Bill Abernathy. It's been good talking to you, my man. Uh, I uh, go ahead. You, you got something? No, I was just going to say I appreciate everybody listening. And, uh, you know, if you're interested, go out and listen to my stuff. I think you'll you'll find that it's uh, uh, pretty diverse, right? And so particularly if you, go to, if you go to my website, you know, you'll see some, um, you know, some different tabs and some different pages that, you know, talk about the different albums and the different, uh, the different kind of music that we do. There's a whole bunch of press out there where you can tell, you know, you can um, – see to people that say hey bill this is really cool or hey bill you suck you know because i don't i don't really filter it you know if it's out there it's it's what happened you know um but uh you know one thing i will say i know that that we live in an electronics world right and everybody's streaming and and thank you very much for doing that uh i appreciate the point oh 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 six seven cents i get every stream uh, (laughs) without a question but if you would like uh, and if you're a little bit more on the audio file, I was listening to one of the other uh, podcasts uh, with another artist and, and, you know, they were saying, you know, you should get my CDs because they sound better. Well, that's for real. Uh, so, you know, if uh, uh, if you would like if you're a bit of an audio file and you like CDs and you get them, uh, you can get them from all kinds of places. But if you my website and order from them, one of the things that we always do uh, is personalize those and put a little note, a couple of pictures, you know, that kind of thing in there. Uh, because, you know, fans are important, right? And uh, people that reach out to me, that's very important to me that, that uh, you know, folks would appreciate what I do and support what I do. So uh, if you get anything from my website, it will certainly come personalized. So. Well, I'm glad you have a shop right on your website because it, it it hurts, man, that you're you're having to share your money now with Spotify and Apple. But hey, I'm sure you're glad uh, that people do stream. And if, if you're going to hit the streams, please hit the Spotify and and show Bill Abernathy some love for sure. But uh, um, but getting an album, that's man, that's one thing that I miss is artwork. Getting a nice 12 inch album with some artwork, and then you open it. If it's a double album, you got some liner notes. You you got a little about the author, you know, like when I was on terrestrial radio, I loved grabbing that, that album before I was going to spin it. Oh yeah. He wrote this back in 1972 and he yeah. was thinking about his dad and he went fishing and blah, it's right there in the liner notes. Isn't that nice? A little fodder for, for me, the stupid DJ to, <laughs> that doesn't know much. Hey, I just learned something about yeah. this song. Yeah, the the artwork, and we put quite a bit of artwork uh, in our CDs, but uh, here's an interesting story for you. The Find A Way album that I have that had the number one hit, and it, it was it charted for a couple of years. I mean, it had a bunch of songs that, that really did well. Uh, uh, I The album cover of that is actually an original oil 
that was created for me by a guy in Germany, an artist in Germany. And uh, it's really cool. And I have it, it hangs on the wall in my house. Uh, and, and we made that the album cover. And I found it very intriguing that in a lot of the interviews that I did uh, supporting that album, people wanted to talk about that album cover, you know, and we, we kind of forgot that there was music involved in there because we get so fascinated talking about this really cool, uh, unique album cover that we had. So for the, the next uh, the next album that I put out, it was called Crossing Willow Creek. I took a picture of a piece of wood in my house, and that's the album cover. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, there's a different uh, spectrums, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there, yeah. there you are. I'm taking a picture of that. That's my there album cover. Is. Bam, print it. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, man. All right. Well, uh, let's uh, park this thing in the garage. I usually uh, finish these things off with last words for the people. These could be words to live by, something you heard a long time ago. Maybe uh, a relative gave you these words or a mantra you wake up with or just whatever pops into your head at this moment in time. Bill Abernathy, last words for the people. Oh, I have two, if you don't mind. Uh, I was given a piece of advice from my father that I, that I use constantly. Uh, every day, whether it be music stuff or, you know, back when I used to have a job and nine to five and all that, right? He just very simply told me that if you want something bad enough in life and you're willing to put in the blood, the sweat, the tears and the toil, you can always, always find a way to make it happen. That is a great piece of advice uh, from a, a really special, a really special man that my father was. Uh, and regarding music, I have another little mantra about my music. So as, as folks listen to it, uh, remember this little mantra, because if you hear a song that sounds like it was written about you, it may have been, you know, I may have seen you talking in an airport and you told me a story and now it's a song. So if you hear a song that sounds like it was written about you, it very well may have been. There you have it, party people, Bill Abernathy. Man, I knew it was going to be good. I was listening to some of his music, and I'm listening to his nice, deep, full, rich voice. Man, that guy, he'll soothe you. You put that music in your ears, on your headphones, it'll get you, get you like, uh, you know, it's like good chill music, but he's, it's not just chill music. It's all kinds of different music. So, so listen to the whole catalog. Give, give him a, give him a, 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 a spin. Uh, on the digital wheels of steel if you will uh, you know put uh, bill abernathy on your spotify playlist and if you can if you have the means i encourage you to check out BillAbernathy.com and and go check out an actual cd grandpa what's a cd well a cd holds your music <laughs> you put it in the <laughs> you put it in the disc player what's a disc player pa <laughs> i know there's a lot of computers that are coming out with no disc players you can't even play a cd on your computer anymore i, I know i just got I, I just got older i just got older just saying that statement right there you can't even play a cd in your car anymore there's no cd players so, uh, but the, the advantage of that CD is going to have a fuller sound, um, MP3s and the digital music, it, it gets compressed to, you know, 128 or even as, you know, 192 CDs are usually in the 300s, you know, so you get a much fuller sound, the ability to, to actually hear all the different instruments on your headphones, especially if you got, you know, you, you spent all that money on those beat headphones, might as well have some good Bill Abernathy music in your head, right? 
So, uh, so take take the time and uh, spend the dough. Since you you spent a couple hundred bucks on those headphones, you you want some good quality stuff going through them, right? Am I right? I'm right. I'm right. <laughs> there, Bill Abernathy. Thanks for being on the uh, <laughs> on the What Makes You Famous podcast. Thanks for chit chatting with me, man. I I learned a lot about you, and uh, hopefully. People have learned a little bit more about you as well. It's uh, always good to talk to good people, especially creative people that can come up with an idea right out the noggin and put it put it on uh, on a guitar or a piano or whatever musical instrument and send it out to the world. It's amazing. It's amazing, and I love I love that you uh, you have all your guitars and and they're all named and they're kind of like kids or even spouses or friends <laughs> the way you the way you talked about your guitar so uh yeah thanks so much for being on the what makes you famous podcast mr bill abernathy all right now you if you i'm turning my attention to you my loyal listener if you would like to tell your story i encourage you to give me a call 501-470-6386 or email info at radio that's it for this edition of the What Makes You Famous podcast. It's Keys Dan, RadioWhat.com, DJLittleRock.com. Peace. I'm out of here. Be on Radio What. Call 501-470-6386. Say your name, where you're from, and you're listening to What? The music you want is on RadioWhat.com. Radio What. The music you want. Hey guys, this is Shelly G with a fast fact. Japanese company JVC introduced the VHS system in 1976. Do you have a fast fact? Share it with us at Interactive Radio, RadioWhat.com. If you like what you hear, follow What Makes You Famous social media. Use the hashtag What Makes You Famous. Follow on Facebook at What Makes You Famous. Follow on Instagram at What Makes You Famous. Follow on Twitter at Makes Famous. And follow on YouTube at Keys Dan. Leave What Makes You Famous podcast a review and subscribe. Listen to What Makes You Famous podcast on Podbean, iTunes, YouTube, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, and almost anywhere you find podcasts. Tell your story on my podcast, What Makes You Famous. Call 501-470-6386 and leave a message to set up a time. You can support What Makes You Famous using the PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash keys dan email info at radio what.com what makes you famous podcast is a production of keys dan enterprises incorporated at keys dan.com thank you for listening <laughs>